I thought we agreed during the break we'd stop saying the B word, David, Yo, but we can't. Dude. Bull or bear? <laughs> <laughs> True. Not bull, not bear, but bankless. Hey, Bankless Nation, happy second week of March. David, what time is it? Oh, it's the Friday Bankless Weekly roll-up time where we cover the entire week in crypto. This week, not actually as crazy as, as all the other weeks. There are some very big headlines and not too much more other than that. So definitely a week of some big news headlines, but uh, a, a few just concentrated news this week. Concentrated news. This one's coming at you one day early. Uh, we've got some uh, things scheduled. So we, we're getting this to you a day early. So I, I guess maybe that's our treat. But some topics <laughs> of the week for you. Number one, the Biden executive order for crypto just Oof. came down the, the pipeline. This is Oof, question much mark? anticipated. Yeah, I mean, there was a ton of fud about this. And we're going to answer the question whether this is actually bearish for crypto as many anticipated, or is it bullish? We'll talk uh, about that. The question, Ryan, was oof, question mark. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. And it's still a question mark. That's why you have to tune into the episode. Also, commodity prices. We got to talk about that. We talked a little bit about that earlier in the, the week, but uh, getting crazy out there, maybe threatening a global recession. Mm -hmm. That's happening. Um, update on sanction week. More sanctions. People oof. freezing everyone's bank account. <laughs> Coinbase. Uh, the exchange. We'll talk about what they're doing in the sanctions world. Also, MetaMask and Infura. Are they sanctioning people too? What's going Oof. on there? Oof. Uh, David, you got the last one. There's some uh, things going on in the NFT space. How would you characterize those things? Oh, I would definitely characterize them as complete shenanigans, Ryan. Uh, not <laughs> just one shenanigan that. story, but multiple NFT shenanigan stories. Uh, so definitely deserves an oof there as well. Oh, NFT shenanigans. Guys, before we dig in, we want to tell you a little about a bit about our friends at Opolis. Okay, they sponsored this message. They wanted us to tell you about what they are doing for the self-sovereign worker. And this is for U.S. listeners primarily, because for U.S. listeners, it's very difficult to get health insurance uh, if you're not working for a large corporation. Like, how do you do it? If you want to work for a DAO, if you want to work for yourself, if you want to work for a community, how do you actually get health insurance? Well, you can get that through Opolis. They offer health insurance and other payroll benefits to the self-sovereign worker. This is the 21st century worker, the worker who's working for a set of DAOs, working for themselves, is somewhat independent. Uh, they also provide the ability to get paid in crypto. They take care of all the pay stubs, all the paperwork, all the W-2 sorts of things so that you don't have to. It's a really awesome tool and I think is going to power a whole new generation of, uh, of DAO workers and crypto workers and ultimately get more people onboarded to Web3. And there's also a, a bonus. Tell them about that bonus, David, if they yeah. sign up for Opolis now. Yeah, if you sign up for Opolis and go through the onboarding process, you can get a thousand work tokens and a thousand bank tokens, so long as you do that before May 1st, uh, which is a couple months away, but it's going to come fast. So go ahead and click that link in the show notes to get your bank and work tokens. Work tokens being the tokens of Opolis, which is a DAO. Awesome. DAOs helping DAOs. That's DAOs what we're doing DAOs. here. We like it. Uh, is Bitcoin helping us? Let's switch to markets, David. <sighs> Bitcoin helping us? Confused Hurting market. Us? I think I would I would call it a confused market this week. Start of the week at $44,000 Bitcoin price. Hit a low of below 38000 but has since climbed back up to just above 42000 to where it is right now at $42,200. Overall down 5-ish percent on the week. Yeah. This is this is hopeful though. This little spike. A is little that a bit. spike on the on the a Biden bit, news? But I mean you want to zoom out though, Ryan, and see what it looks like. <laughs> oh, okay, well, fine. If you make me do, 30 do the, days. Yeah, do the 180 days. 90 days, 180. 
Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 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 We're headed down. Okay. okay. All right. But down look at this line. It's good. It's <laughs> good. 24 hours. Line. All right. <laughs> look at this. Okay. <laughs> it looks like we're actually up. Uh, here's a report from CNBC. Uh, 8%, Bitcoin up 8% as Biden announces executive order on cryptocurrencies. We're going to uh, talk in depth about that when we get to the news section, but it seems like the market is interpreting that as uh, not news. bearish anyway. Yeah. I mean, positive mm-hmm. news? All right. It's a silver lining. Yeah, well, we're going yeah, to have to unpack that. There's definitely um, uh, some optimism to be had about this uh, executive order. You know what? I could tell, David, you're feeling bull- bearish, aren't you? Yeah, I'm, I'm a in bear, bear this week. I'm in bear mood. In bear mood. Yeah, you're so. never in a bear mood. What happened? What changed? <sighs> we'll get to the commodity section. Uh, Ether <laughs> started the week at $3,000, hit a low of $2,450, uh, and is currently at $2,720, down about 8% on the week. ETH down 8% on the week. Uh, Chris Berninski, I saw, had a take on on that. But that's actually to do with the ratio. Let's talk about the ratio first, the ETH to Bitcoin ratio. That's down on the week, too. What's happening here? Yeah, we broke down below 0.065. We are at 0.0644. I think we were at 0.067 last week. So the ETH BTC ratio took a big hit, um, down 3%. Uh, the Bitcoin news, ha- the uh, executive order out of Biden has, uh, where Bitcoin jumped 8%, Ether didn't follow suit. So, Bitcoin responded more than the rest of the crypto market on the executive order news, which is interesting. So uh, Bitcoin up more than ETH. We're back to where we were in February, which was sort of a local low We're below low where we were in February. We're now below where we were in February. Mm-hmm. Wow. We're, we're going back to where we were in, uh, what's yep. this, October? October. October, yeah. And this bodes interesting things. I think we've said on Bankless before, when ETH-Bitcoin ratio is going up, that means secular bull market. Bull market that means generally. risk on. Mm-hmm. Risk on. Uh, this is what uh, Chris Berninski says as well. Why don't you read out this tweet, David? Yeah, Chris says, bulls are ce- celebrating Bitcoin ripping on the executive order news. Uh, while me- meanwhile, while the ETH-BTC ratio, which is a proxy for risk appetite in crypto, grinds lower. Uh, so this is uh, mixed signals, right? BTC up on the uh, executive order news, but uh, ETH-BTC... Uh, which, as we've said before, is kind of a bull market indicator, is hitting new lows that it hasn't that we haven't seen since October, uh, which is one, about- one of the few things, one of the many things that has caused me to not have my bull hat on this week. Okay, well, I get to I get to be a bit more bullish than David okay. Hoffman this week. Uh, okay. So I, I know Chris has been bearish yes. the last uh, few weeks and months, mm. I would say. And I, I do agree with this ETH Bitcoin ratio being a proxy for risk appetite in crypto, but doesn't ETH gen- or doesn't Bitcoin generally have to go up first when we're breaking out of these uh, bear market patterns? Like generally, that's been the pattern. Bitcoin has a breakout. Everyone's like, okay, is it safe? Is it safe? Weeks go by. Sometimes months go by, and then other assets follow suit. ETH generally next in kind of the the classic cycle that we've seen again and again. Could that be what's happening here, David? Uh, That's definitely been the meme historically, but I don't think we've seen that been a thing for the past like six months or so. Uh, I think a lot of just like we are in uncharted waters and I think we have been for for a while now. Uh, crypto is in a place both in, in its development and in its global relevancy and in the regulation spotlight, uh, both very good and very bad and just like a lot of neutral stuff uh, that is relevant to the crypto markets that really just changes 
I think like all of our like previous models and patterns, like, oh, first we would have Bitcoin season, then we would have ETH season, then we would have altcoin season. When's the last time that that happened, Brian? I think it was over uh, a year ago. I would say I would say the last time that probably happened was like um, a year ago. It kind of started and we had a good after DeFi summer, we had a nice, strong Bitcoin mm -hmm. rally pri price rally. Right. And then we cycled into uh, ETH. ETH. And then it kind of skipped DeFi. And it and went then straight we got, to the like, L1s. Yeah, straight yeah. to all L1s. And then that like trailed off and now here we are. Mm -hmm. uh, so, but you think it's different. And I think probably the reason you think that is maybe because of the macro conditions, which yeah. we'll get to you uh, in a few minutes with the commodity prices. But before we do, bankless bed index. That's a third, a third, a third. Bitcoin, ETH, and DeFi. What are we looking at on the week? Uh, it's about flat on the week. Start of the week at about $100. It's currently at $99. So flat flat on the week, uh, a way to get out some of that volatility from holding one of those asset classes individually. Um, all right, let's get to a few other things on the, on the bear watch, bear market bear watch. watch, bear watch. This is the second worst start of the year for us equities mm -hmm. in 123 years. That's the tweet. Um, good, good, uh, place to start the bear watch is in the <laughs> equities market. We generally don't talk about equities, but look at this. For context, the 11, negative 11.9% drop in the first 44 trading days in 2022, that's what we've seen, is only rivaled by the 1920 Great Depression and the Great Financial Crisis. Those are the only two times something like this has happened. In 2009, of course, when we had the financial crisis, and in 1920, when there was um, the 1920 Great Depression. Uh, oh, the, right there. Yeah. yeah. Okay, right here. 11.8%. Yeah, we beat it by 0.1%. Yeah, but then we got the Roaring Twenties, David. Yeah, it was yeah. 1920. It, yeah, so like the, it's a little bit like one half bear watch, but also it's like, all right, did we already express all the bear? Is the bear already expressed? I don't know. Maybe, maybe perhaps. Um, but uh I mean, it also, it's a, a little bit of just like a, a timing thing, right? Like we hit the highs in the stock market right at like December, January. Uh, and then and then Putin invaded, like put, amassed his army. Uh, we did a, a normal correction. Then a war happened. So like it happened. There's a little bit of just like timing bias on this on this one. Uh, but still, at the end of the day, uh, down 12 percent is a big deal. Bad start to the year for all assets, uh, including equities, including crypto, of course. Um, this is uh, the, the headline title from the Financial side, uh, Times. War in Ukraine sparks a commodity crisis. So let's dig into that. Let's dig into the yeah. commodity crisis a little bit more. Here is uh, prices of various commodities. And I'm looking at the one year here. Is that the thing to look at? Do yeah, you think, I, I think. Well, oil? I mean, it just shows that spike at the end of the year so clearly. Where, like, in April of 2021, we had $60 a barrel for oil, and we are currently up above $120 a barrel. Uh, so, like, oil has doubled in the last like six months. Uh, and we don't we don't have this tweet ready, but uh, Jim Bianco made a tweet where like every time that there's been a 50% increase in crude oil has triggered a recession. Like the hit rate is 100%. Uh, according to according to uh, Jim Bianco, uh, and like you can also see this in other commodities too, uh, like gold, which I mean I guess isn't really necessary for production, but still is an indication of just kind of um, people being spooked out of equities and, and fiat and other currencies. Like gold is surging past two thousand uh, dollars. Zoom out, zoom out to like the five year on that one, Ryan. 
Here's the five year on gold. Yeah. Yeah. Setting almost setting new highs, basically. We're back uh, to COVID. Remember when it mm-hmm. did a big run during a kind of early COVID days? Right. Yeah. And then Bitcoin sucked all the air out of its uh, out of the, the out of its sales. Uh, and then, of course, corn and wheat are, are up bigly as well. Uh, corn and, and wheat setting basically new highs again. Um, uh, yeah. And like that, that really matters because that's food prices, right? Corn and wheat is food prices. And it's not just like food prices going up like 20 to 25% at home, which is probably what it could happen if these prices uh, sustained their higher levels. But it also means just like perhaps a famine for Africa. Because apparently some uh, economists are saying like, yo, like so much of the African continent is dependent on Russia and Ukraine for wheat that they have to, are going to have to rethink where they're getting their wheat from because there's there's absolutely zero way that a cycle's worth of crops is coming out of Ukraine right now. Uh, and, and specifically so, specifically wheat because Ukraine mm-hmm. produces a massive amount of massive wheat for amount. the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so commodity prices are jumping. This is a uh, commodity indice from the mm-hmm. Dow Jones as well. And I think we can see that uh, if I can pull up the uh, Get that graph, graph here. to load, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I guess the graph, there it is, sh- yeah. So these are all commodities, right? And you can we're going all the way back from April 2021, but even with a five-year, you can just see the commodities going for going from uh, where it was, like 500, this is an index, so these numbers are arbitrary, 500 where it was at 27 in uh, July of 2017 to where it is now at 1,260. So like think when commodities over go doubled. up in price, over over a doubling over that four-year, four or five-year period, so like four or five year period, that's that's a, a very large time in crypto terms, but in commodity terms in manufacturing terms and production and, and food and just the cost to produce things, the com- commodities of the world have like du- over doubled in a four year period. So like how is that does that make how many businesses are no longer viable because the cost of goods are higher? Uh, and, and so much of this run has come up in the last like three months. Uh, and so like if these high commodity prices stay, stay sustained for a long amount of time, it can cause significant disruption in so many businesses that consume, that need to, uh, to consume commodities to produce their products. Uh, so this is, this is part of like bear mode, bear mode David right now. And, and some of these uh, niche commodities as well, like things like neon gas, mm-hmm. which is a, an ingredient for semiconductors, like which price, price on is, neon are gas. Are in everything. Is- Right, <laughs> including your coffee cup. Yeah, including my coffee cup. <laughs> um, you know, and uh, uh, fertilizer for for crops. Mm-hmm. Apparently, that's a that's a product that uh, Belarus has a commodity ingredient, which uh, is now sanctioned. Well. A, a country that's now sanctioned, so we can't buy Pal- that anymore. Palladium. Mm-hmm. That's a, a key commodity for cars, mm-hmm. I believe, and mm-hmm. other manufactured goods like that. Um, so it's just like a ton of different commodities, and we've never. We've never seen uh, crypto during this sort of a, a mm-hmm. you know macro backdrop. So, is this what's giving you the bear market vibes? This is this is a very big part of it, and I think the story really hangs on is that how much of this are traders just speculating that commodities are the trade right now and like forcing commodities up, and how much of this is actually going to be sustained broken supply chains, uh, Eastern Europe disruption. Uh, cascading contagion domino effects of across the globe, or is just this just a blip? Like, are we going to return to more like normal levels in a couple weeks, or is this actually going to cause significant disruption? Because like, if commodity prices are high right now, like 
like when when lumber spiked a lot of uh, like at the beginning of covid when lumber spiked like construction was just like pause and people waited for it to come come back down uh and then people just resumed business as normal as soon as just like the the market's cleared if the if it hadn't spiked however that would have caused significant disruption in construction and so that's basically what i'm looking at right now is like is this a spike is this just financial markets being financial markets or is these high commodity prices going to be sustained uh, and, and remember, at the end of the day, while there is a big difference between currency inflation and commodity price asset inc- like valuation increases, for the average consumer, it doesn't really matter because it still makes your milk more expensive or it still makes your construction more expensive or driving your car more expensive. How many, how many individuals can, can stomach like a 10 to 15% increase of the goods that they consume on a monthly basis? Like it starts to like raise the water, the threshold line as to like what is viable in the world. Do you know, uh, do you remember that uh, episode we did with Lynn Alden? I think that was like during the summer and mm-hmm. uh, we're like, Lynn, what, what should people hold during the, the 2020s? Uh, because it's going to be a chaotic decade. And she was like, you should hold commodities, mm. like hold commodities. She did say that. Uh, very interesting that that's, that's what's kind of coming through. When fiat is unstable, when there's uncertainty in the world, commodity prices just shoot up. Um, not necessarily crypto commodities, though. Right. Ethan Bitcoin as commodities. but Consumable commodities, yeah. You can't, you know, fill up your stomach on ETH gas, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a different type of commodity class that is not uh, following suit here. But we'll get more into that a little bit later. And I think the commodities story is something that we'll be talking about a lot over the next uh, f- weeks to come, probably on the roll-ups as well. But we put out an episode with Kyla Scanlon on uh, Fortress Russia and commodity prices as well, including the the R word recession we talked about. So go check that out. It was published earlier in the week. We'll include a link in the show notes as well. Um, just a good episode to get a recap on everything that's going on in the world. Um, something that is down as far as commodity price though is Ether block space. Okay, yeah. Ether gas fees dropped to a six month low. Uh, the decrease is likely related to a cooling off of the NFT market is the subtitle here. I've definitely noticed Gwei prices down mm-hmm. here lately. Uh, is that some solace to you, David, bear market David? I mean, no. Like when <laughs> Ethereum block space demand is low, that's an indication of the bull market. It's not, I wouldn't say it's a predictive indication. It's a lagging indicator, but it's just like another signal that like things are just quiet in crypto land. And as we know, like, Kobe put out that article a while ago that was like, basically everything in crypto hangs on attention, right? Like things only go up when people have attention on them. And what I'm seeing is that the crypto industry has less and less like attention on it, other than the regulators, which isn't like the best kind of attention that you want. Um, NFT attention going away is bad because that was what sustained a lot of the bull market. Uh, and that's actually kind of the the graph that we have up up next is like we all know that the NFT search terms on Google just like went Scott gangbusters during NFT summer. Um, but like how long can it be sustained? Uh, and right now we're back down to roughly September 2021 levels of NFT search volume. Um, so six, over six months ago, I think. Uh, so uh, so much of that block space demand for Ethereum and for other chains came from NFTs and people are starting to care less and less and less about NFTs. Does this little uh, this little graphic here in the search bar does this remind you of 2017 at all? It, ICOs. It reminds me exactly like 2017. <laughs> I'm just feeding into the bear market, David. This week, <laughs> oh, I'm less God. worried than David for bankless listeners, but um, I, I I do think that this could mark a a turning point as well. 
uh, I guess we'll just have to see. But you know, you know what's uh, if you if you don't laugh, you, you you're gonna cry. You know, um, this is the gas price I saw. This is a screenshot from somewhere outside of L.A. Mm. And we're talking oh like God. seven dollars a gallon in the U.S. for gas. God damn. And contrast that with guayfri fees, right? So <laughs> like so cheap real to, life to gas up. ETH. Yeah, but ETH, ETH gas price down. Um, that's the world that we're living in right now. I don't know. Give us a give us a case to be hopeful, though. What do you what do you think? What's what's um, something that gives you some bear, uh, bull market vibes? Well, it's one of those. You maybe if somebody of your preferred park podcast is bearish, maybe that means that the bear things have already happened. And so uh, there, there was a, a line that I heard. I can't remember where I, where it was said, but like people. Oh yeah, I was actually in Ray Dalio's book, which Ryan got me on. Where like people will keep on buying Amazon stock at at every single price level because it went up so much. Therefore, it's 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 a, clearly a good buy. Forgetting that like when you're buying it at the top, it's not a good buy. It's an expensive buy. Uh, and so perhaps this is just like the inversion of that. Like if so much of this bear niche has already happened. Maybe that means all these stuff is cheap and the, the bearishness has already manifested. Um, however, the, the whole contagion crypto, the, the commodity <laughs> contagion thing still looms in the back of my head. Like we really need that to not trigger a bunch of other breakdowns in other parts of the world. I do think it's funny that the, the only thing that really um, concerns me, at least in the short run in crypto, in the short to medium run, let's say, in crypto, is macro events. Mm-hmm. Like the oh, fundamentals certainly. of everything else are just like so strong. Always happen. I mean, the, the ETH merge this year, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's going to be, that's a massive catalyst. How can it not be? And yet if that happens while well, we're still in the, in the slumps of a, of a bear market, mm-hmm. maybe... I mean, uh, when, when you have good news during a bear market, it just like doesn't move price. And that's an indicator of the bear market. So I think in the next, you know, three to six months, we'll mm. actually see what type of market we're in for real, including when, uh, when the merge happens and when that ships, what happens to the price of crypto? Will that be a positive catalyst or will it just like fall flat? Because that's a massive fundamental event that hasn't been priced in. But maybe it won't get priced in if we're in the backdrop of all of these macro events. We will have to see. I think um, that's exactly right. And, and if you believe the Bitcoiners that about like how uh, the four-year crypto cycles that we've historically had are all triggered by the halving events, typically the halving happens during a bear market and only Bitcoiners would care. They're like, oh, halving, yay. But then the like, mainstream media is like, we don't really care about that. Uh, but then because of the supply issuance reduction coming out of Bitcoin would get halved, there would be miners selling less Bitcoin on the secondary markets. And then slowly Bitcoin would start to creep up uh, and it would creep up for like year straight and then people would realize it and then they would turn into a bull market uh, and so uh, if you believe that these the supply happenings out of bitcoin trigger bull markets anywhere between like 12 to 24 months later you would definitely expect that same thing to happen to ethereum during the merge because it's three happenings all at once and so like maybe a viable path forward is that like we are we are in a bear market as bear market david says that we are and then the merge happens and the, the mainstream media just doesn't care about Ethereum. They forgot about crypto. No one's paying attention. It's quiet. Uh, and so the, the merge happens. We get a small little blip in price, but it doesn't, nothing really happens. But then for the next like 12 to 18 months, ETH just slowly just grinds up and grinds up and grinds up because of the supply issuance reduction. Like this is something, these are patterns that we've seen before that I, that I could totally see playing out. 
If we are in the bear market though, like um, let's say this repeats similar, like a fractal of, of 2018 and 2019, mm-hmm. uh, there's some like periods where things stay steady and then there's like a series of drops. Yes. You get a 50% drop and you're like, okay, mm-hmm. that was it. That was the 50. And then you get another 50% right. drop, right? right? And you're like, oh my God, okay, that was it. And then you get another 50% drop. That's one of and- the things that's got me into bear market mode. It's just like every time these crypto prices come up to an inflection point, it always goes down. Like you can predict <laughs> it. It's like, well, if we're in a bear market, it's going to go down and then it goes down. Yeah. I, um, I, you know, it's, I think it's a different orientation, certainly looking at how to, how to invest during the, the, you know, the bear market. But, Mm -hmm. um, I mean, the thing that remains true is like, don't sell when the market is panicking, right? Right. That's the absolute worst time to sell. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so you can either hold through these types of things. You can have some dry powder on reserve to buy aggressively the dips that could happen, or this could be sort of a, a, a fake out of some sort. And we're not repeating 2018, 2019, given the strong fundamentals. So impossible to tell. Um, but I've noticed that the, uh, the super cycle believers have been quiet <laughs> recently. Well, the thing is like, I bet you if we like zoom to all time highs in like three to four months, people will be like, They'll Oh, be super again. cycle. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like narrative follows price guys. Right. All right. Not the uh-huh. other way around. That's exactly anyway, right. Anyway, we got a lot more to talk about. We're going to cover the releases. We're going to hit the news of the week, including, including that Biden executive order. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. Bankless is proud to be sponsored by Uniswap. Uniswap is a new paradigm in asset exchange infrastructure. Instead of a cumbersome order book system where trades are matched with other humans, Uniswap is an autonomous piece of software on Ethereum that lets you trade any token at the current market price. No human counterparties or centralized intermediaries, just autonomous code on Ethereum. Input the token you want to sell and receive the token you want to buy. The Uniswap Grants Program is accepting applications for grants. Do you have something of value that you think you want to contribute to the Uniswap ecosystem? No matter how big or small your idea is, you can apply for a uni grant at uniswapgrants.org and help steer Uniswap in the direction that you think it should go. Thank you, Uniswap, for sponsoring Bankless. Slingshot is a decentralized trading platform that combines the performance and ease of a centralized exchange with the openness and transparency of DeFi. Slingshot aggregates liquidity from all of DeFi in order to find the best price on thousands of crypto assets. Every token on Slingshot comes with a price chart and trade logs to give you insights into the market's activity in real time. Slingshot is available on Polygon, Arbitrum, and Optimism, saving you from the high gas fees and low transaction speeds of the Ethereum L1. There are no fees to trade on Slingshot, and any positive slippage is given to the users. Trading on Slingshot is a social experience. You can even set your chat avatar to your favorite NFT, or soon, a Slingshot 2099 NFT avatar. Once you bridge your assets to Polygon, Arbitrum, or Optimism, go to app.slingshot.finance to trade and use the chat box to share your trades with others and find other tokens to ape into. When you shop for plane tickets, you probably use Kayak, Expedia, or Google to compare ticket prices. So why would you limit yourself to just one exchange when you trade crypto? When you make your trades, you want to make sure you're getting the best possible price on your trade. And that's why you should be using Matcha. Matcha has smart order routing that splits your trade across all the various liquidity sources in Ethereum and is also operational on Polygon, Avalanche, Binance Smart Chain, and other chains. Trading on Matcha is super easy because it pools the liquidity for me in a single easy to use platform and allows me to make limit on-chain orders so you can set and forget your DeFi trades and they will go through automatically while you're away. So when you're making a trade, head over to matcha.xyz bankless and connect your wallet to start getting the best prices and most liquidity when you trade your crypto assets. 
Hey guys, we are back with the news of the week. Now we got the bearishness out of the way. Let's talk about what's getting released. I said news of the week, but first we got to cover what's getting released. Starknet, that's some good news this year. Mm -hmm. Okay, Layer 2 is coming. Layer 2 is here. This is a starknet-ecosystem.com website. Look at all these projects on Starknet or either live or on the roadmap in beta version of some sort. Alpha Road, Argent X, Bitmap Box, Brick, uh, DYDX, of course, is already there. Dope Wars, uh, it's a cool game. Diversify, we know Diversify, they're there. Immutable X, the ecosystem is getting larger and larger, so I expect this website to fill up with tiles. What do you think about this? Oh, I, I think on the other side of the bear market, Ryan, we're going to come out with five second, five cent transactions and instant fi uh, finality, and everyone's going to be like, oh, Ethereum solved the scalability problems during the bear market. It's going to be great. <laughs> Sorry, we were there supposed to leave the bear market behind. D David's recovered, though. That's that's bull market David talking. Just might take a few months. Um, let's talk about this, too. The Tally Wallet, what are they up to? Yeah, Tally Wallet, that's a new MetaMask competitor, now has the swap feature ingrained into the Tally Wallet, uh, inside the Tally Wallet. All the fees go into the community multisig, uh, and they have a, apparently half the cost of a MetaMask swap fee. Uh, uh, fee. Uh, and then they finish up the tweet saying, you'll want to give this a try before the DAO launches, dot, dot, dot. I wonder what that means. Ryan, what do you think that means? You'll want to give this a try before the DAO launches. Hmm. Wait, I don't know what hint they're dropping here, Dave. What do you need to launch a DAO? Huh. There's literally only one thing that you need. To, <laughs> does it start with a T? It does start with a T, and it's not Tally. <laughs> okay. We'll let bankless listeners uh, derive what this tweet could mean for themselves, but uh, hopefully you can read between the lines there a little bit. I will say that uh, when you advertise... The schmearschmop that's coming. <laughs> uh, it generally the becomes crowded. <laughs> it, yeah. it, it definitely becomes a crowded thing. So well, eyes, eyes out for why that. Not? Why not say it? Everyone knows everyone else is going to do it as soon as they can, as soon as it makes sense. So why not? Just oh, hint, yeah. yeah. Just hint, hint, hint the yeah, schmearschmop. I guess so. Yeah, the schmearschmop. <laughs> uh, this is cool. This is not something that's being hinted at from our, our friends at Ledger. They wanted us to let you know. That there's a new Ledger uh, device that's mm -hmm. out. This is Ledger, the hardware wallet. Um, I don't have one of these yet, but I want one. And the reason I don't have it is because it just came out. This is the Ledger Nano S Plus. Mm -hmm. So maybe you have a Ledger Nano S. You probably do. Maybe you have the other version of, uh, of Ledger's as well. Ledger Nano X. The Ledger Nano S Plus is a new Ledger device that has just been released. Bigger screen, more memory, more stuff you can do on the wallet side of things, uh, including when you plug it into Ledger software, the ability to manage your NFTs, send and sign your NFT transactions with full transparency in Ledger Live. So this is like taking the Ledger that everyone knows and loves and probably already has and like upgrading it, yeah. making it better. Yeah, so this is like uh, for uh, the the right mental model, I think for this is like this is the new shiny iPhone SE. 
is what the Ledger uh, Ledger S is. It's like the more affordable version of Ledger, the other one being the Ledger X, which is kind of like the iPhone Pro. Um, but this has gotten a big upgrade to kind of look like the, the Ledger uh, X, uh, which I have. Uh, I also I, I have both the old Ledger S and the current Ledger X. I thoroughly enjoy the Ledger X, but it's looking like the Ledger S is getting the glow up to look a little bit more like the Ledger X, but also being a little bit more affordable, just clocking in at $80 for one of these things. Yeah, it's super cheap for uh, for a new product like this. So go check that out. I think uh, these aren't going to last long. Like Ledger has had some. They always sell out. Yeah. Yeah, they always sell out, and their you know supply chain is difficult. Yeah. Uh, Another reason to be bearish. (laughs) (laughs) Stop. Okay. (laughs) Just get your Ledger. That's what you should do. There's a link in the show notes. Get a Ledger Nano S Plus. Um, Go try that out. Let us know what you think of it. Uh, Immutable. They just raised two hundred million dollars. Now Immutable, the company, is valued at two point five billion dollars of course folks that have been listening to bankless know what immutable is it's a layer two solution uh particularly for nfts uh what's the significance of this raise david yeah so this is uh not too long ago immutable announced a partnership with gamestop and had the gamestop like development fund uh and people got really excited about that but then they got disappointed and they in the fact that this the funds from this came from a sale of imx uh this is not that I th- I this think is it- not the token. This is the company itself, I yes, believe, that has yes. raised $200 million in Series C funding. Yeah, uh, and so uh, valued at $2.5 billion, which is distinct, although related to the 3.2 fully diluted valuation of the, cur- of the IMX token currently. Uh, but this is all going to go into building games in the gaming ecosystem on top of Immutable X. More Layer 2 dry powder. This is cool, too. Wallet Connect just announced they've raised a little bit of money, $11 million worth uh, what's Wallet Connect, David? Yeah, Wallet Connect is a, is a nice way. I use it to connect some of my mobile wallets to whatever whatever I'm doing on desktop. So Argent, particularly, if I want to use anything with my Argent wallet, but use a desktop app like Uniswap or Compound or whatever, uh, you can scan a QR code using your mobile wallet using Wallet Connect, uh, and the the QR code will link your Wallet Connect wallet on your mobile phone to whatever app you're using on desktop. So it's a nice hybrid mobile desktop connectivity feature uh, and actually just really useful and fantastic UX. Uh, And they've raised $11 million to help grow out Wallet Connect. Um, So congrats to the Wallet Connect team. Yeah, you know what's really cool is I remember Wallet Connect back in like um, 2018, 2019 when like there was very little funding in crypto and it was it was kind of thought of as a as a public good with no like no funding, no real business model. And um like not really a, a strong way forward from a revenue perspective. Now here they are in 2022 getting $11 million in mm. funding. Might have things, how things have changed. And I think that's because like tokens have changed things, right? So now that there is, there is a way to monetize a public good. We've seen this with ENS previously, which uh, didn't really seem to have a good monetization strategy back in 2018, 2019. We're seeing this with Wallet Connect. We're seeing this with all sorts of projects. So it's very cool to see good public goods-esque projects get funded in the way that they're getting funded now. Yeah, I think people that consider publicly accessible tokens on decentralized exchanges close enough to public goods. So count it. Yeah, yeah. Bain Capital Ventures, they just launched a crypto-focused fund, now worth $560 million. Bain Capital, of course, is like a fairly famous private equities firm, I believe. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they're a 38-year-old firm, so this is kind of old, old, older money PE now joining the crypto fray. Any thoughts here? 
Well, it's good timing to be raising $560 million because you're going <laughs> into a bear market, all. right? <laughs> it is a good time to raise. It is a Just good time to raise. Just don't buy. Just yeah. buy the dip, guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My advice for Bank Capital. Uh, we'll see what they do with their money. All right, who's this? Diagonal Finance. They're excited, they say, to announce that they have raised $2.5 million in a pre-seed round. What are they going to do? They're going to enable crypto-native subscriptions on Ethereum. What's yes. that mean? Yeah, so this is using the super fluid streaming payments protocol. Uh, really? So, yeah, yeah. So this okay. is a startup ba- built on top of a startup. So that's already nice. pretty cool. Uh, and so this is um, rather than just, uh, I don't know, however you would normally do subscriptions with crypto. I don't even think that you There's could. There's not really a way. There's not really a way. With uh, super fluid, you can stream like microtransactions your subscription. So like, I don't know, you pay for Netflix like one penny at a second or whatever the right math is. How about a bankless premium membership? Something like that too. That would work too. Uh, and all the, obviously you aren't paying gas fees for this. That's, that's kind of the workaround that Superfluid offers. So on-chain subscriptions, now a thing coming out of Diagonal. Subscriptions in 2022 were $7.3 trillion. So that's a fair, fairly uh, significant market to capture <laughs> if Diagonal can do this. Um, David, A16Z, they're at it again. They've just invested in Lido Finance. Mm-hmm. How much do they put in here? $70 million into Lido. So this has to be a discounted token vested lockup investment out of Lido. So probably a discounted, discounted valuation on the Lido token going into A16Z, probably locked up for a number of years. Good investment in uh, proof of stake. Uh, A16Z is getting, uh, speaking of good investments, mm. one of the best investments you can make is getting a career in Web3. Mm. Join crypto. Get a job in crypto, as we say every week. If you can get a job during the bear market, you're going to thrive during the bull market. <laughs> <laughs> that's, your, that's the pitch. That's I, thought the, that's my one I thought we agreed during the break we'd stop saying the B word, David, no, but we can't. Bull or bear? <laughs> <laughs> True. Not bull, not bear, but bankless, okay? Mm. Because bankless is featuring an editor. That's the number one job. Do you know that? Do you know we're hiring uh, an editor for the Bankless newsletter? <laughs> Who put that? It seems like one? a great job. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna hold out on this. Look, Bankless, fantastic newsletter read by over 150,000 crypto natives. Actually, more than that. Yeah, I don't know that's who wrote old, that. That's, but that's old. It's old news. Okay, we're at 175,000 now. Anyway, we're looking for an editor. If you can write, if you've got some skills in the crypto space, if you're a Bankless consumer, go ahead and apply for that job. Um, let's talk about a few more of the jobs on the jobs board. I lost it. Here it is. Um, a senior product manager at the Bankless Academy. I guess, wow, is this Bankless DAO? Hey, we're, wow. we're hiring for Bankless stuff. Wow, well, Bankless is hiring across the board, both DAO uh, and HQ. A senior product manager is super rare. What an awesome job that would be, an NFT company. A senior technical product manager at Runtime Verification, a head of marketing at Status.im, an operations manager at MakerDAO, lead financial analyst, strategic finance at MakerDAO, DeepDAO's hiring, Prima's hiring, Tally's hiring, no- uh, uh, Novel's hiring, I could go on. There's a lot more at the Bankless Jobs website. Go ahead and check that out, guys, and uh, get a job during the the B market. During the B market. That's a great way to put it. (laughs) Listeners can hear whatever they want to (laughs) hear. News time. All right, news time. Let's start here. Um, This was a crazy story that I read. This is, I guess, is the the Ukraine thread, but it it sort of read like a crypto dystopian novel a little bit a little bit bit, yeah uh Mm -hmm. ukraine is buying bulletproof vests and night vision goggles using crypto that's what they're buying 
I mean, it's better than like AK-47s and missiles, I think. Uh, that would be a, little, a lot more contentious. Uh, bulletproof vests, night vision goggles are, <laughs> I mean, one's to protect you. One is definitely to help kill other people. Uh, but again, this is what we talked about last week on the roll-up. Like when you donate your crypto assets to the Ukrainian government, they can go buy bombs with it. And it's not just that, it's the military suppliers themselves. They are now spinning up crypto accounts so they can oof. accept crypto. Oof, that deserves an oof. That's an oof. Right? Does it, look at this, yeah. man. This just reads like a, a dystopian novel, like World's at War, and now yeah. people are using crypto to like buy uh, military gear in order to protect themselves. In order Permissionless to, like, payments for military gear is a scary sentence. Right? Um that's the world of 2022. Uh, I guess on the flip side of this, the happy side of this, this is a summary of all of the inflows that went to Ukraine um, and for various things, many different things. But look at the top line here. Uh, ETH donations, $18 million. Yeah. That was that, that beat out Bitcoin. Bitcoin is $10 million. And the rest, I think it's over $55 million or something like this. The rest were in ERC-20s. There's some DOT donations as well. But what's interesting about this is uh, ETH was now the money, not Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. ETH was the main money uh, provided to Ukraine. Um, something we've been saying for a while is ETH is money. Uh, mm-hmm. Looks like it here. Yeah, uh, and my bias is definitely going to come out on this one. But like uh, the Ethereum community, generally a little bit more altruist, I would say, than the, the hardcore conservative nature of, of Bitcoiners. Uh, and uh, the Ethereum community showed up showed up more than Bitcoin did. It's, it's important to note that like not only did $10, $10 million out of the Bitcoin, Bitcoin came and, and got sent to Ukraine, $18 million out of Ethereum, but the Bitcoin market cap is like two and a half times the size of Ethereum's market cap, which means the total wealth held by Bitcoiners is two and a half times the total wealth held by people that hold ETH. Uh, and ETH, uh, ETH donations almost doubled Bitcoin donations. Uh, so the Ethereum community, I think, much more tapped in to the global world that's going on and where needs need to be met. Uh, ETH still definitely underrated as a money in the way that Bitcoin is uh, rated as a money. Okay, so this is the story in Ukraine, Ukrainian deputy minister just reiterates a call for crypto exchanges to block Russian users. And you can kind of get in their headspace. They're just doing whatever they can to survive. And they're calling on the rest of the world to just do whatever they can to sanction Russia in all various ways. But I don't know if um, we should always be listening to, to them. It's kind of the same reason we don't have you know, the victims of a crime as jurors in a court case, right? They're like, they're too enmeshed, uh, entrenched in the problem to actually provide, um, a, you know, a, a less, a more objective, a cool-headed response, a cool-headed yeah. response to this. And this is sort of, sort of what they're, they're saying. So they want all crypto exchanges to just block all Russian users. That's a message that's coming out of Ukraine right now. Yeah, and how helpful is that really? Like the Russian individuals of the world uh, who I think, are, I mean, we can feel pretty damn certain that Ukraine does not have a Coinbase account or a Kraken account or any of the other oligarchs. They're too easy to find. But that leaves like the Russian citizens, the Russian users uh, of these crypto accounts. And like, how is freezing their accounts going to help anything? Like bombs are still going to drop on Ukraine, even if you freeze uh, Russian users out of their Coinbase account. Um, so this one, uh, as much as I stand with the people of Ukraine and want the the war around Ukraine to end as soon as possible, I don't see this one moving the needle. Uh, Elizabeth Warren, related to this, just crafted a bill that targets cryptocurrency 
exchanges in Russia sanctions. So um, she's worried, I think you know, some lawmakers are, particularly Elizabeth Warren, particularly. that cryptocurrency might be used to sidestep existing sanctions. There are a few interesting quotes in this article. Senator Lindsey Graham says, cryptocurrency is rearing its ugly head here. Uh, as you sanction the Russian central bank, which is a good thing, I worry about how the cryptocurrency, the cryptocurrency, could be used by the Russians to stay afloat. <laughs> that, that darned cryptocurrency. <laughs> <laughs> um, some of the, I think the language in the bill says the like the provision would make it easier to verify the identities of customers and transfers to private crypto wallets by requiring financial institutions that is like the exchanges of the world to keep detailed records and submit reports to the treasury department. So basically they already, you know, a Coinbase or a Kraken or a Gemini, they already AML KYC everyone. Now treasury wants a copy of all of the identities of all of the crypto wallets that they're AML KYCing. Whereas before you'd expect Coinbase to sort of have that information in their own private records in case they need it. Maybe there was a court order, some sort of, you know, reason uh, to give it to authorities, but otherwise they'd keep it private. Now, Treasury wants a direct data feed so that every time you deposit or withdraw from a crypto wallet, Treasury knows whose wallet it is. So your address, your ETH address is linked directly to your identity. That's what she's proposing. Yeah, they're, they're asking all of the crypto exchanges to spin up their own Eye of Sauron directly connected to the meta Eye of Sauron, which is you know, yep. the central government. And so they're asking, it's like, hey, like we, uh, we do our job with financial surveillance. We want you guys to take part equal parts in financial surveillance. That's what's going on here. Remember we talked about last week that uh, some of the exchanges were resisting some of this? Yeah. In particular, they, they were resisting the complete blocking of all Russian accounts on their platforms. And what we said at that time was like, uh, I wonder how long that's going to last. Right. Um, one week. <laughs> Barely, right? Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. if even. So what happened here, David? Uh, Coinbase will block Russian accounts to sanction the country. Uh, so they are just not trying to pick a fight at all during this debacle. And they have indeed kicked off Russian users, frozen Russian users off of their accounts to comply with sanctions. Uh, and so I'm pretty sure this is true. Uh, but like once again, crypto exchanges are not regulated in the same way as other financial institutions. And so this um, complying with sanctions, I'm still, I'm pretty sure this is true, is optional, right? Like they are not, because they're not a bank, they don't have to comply with bank regulations. They're just doing it anyways because they don't want to piss off the eye of Sauron. It's probably a good move. It's probably a good move. Um, but they have indeed blocked access to sanctioned users. It's kind of like optional in air quotes, right? It's like <laughs> when you get letters from the government, how optional is it really? Right. Mm -hmm. uh, Brian Armstrong put together a, a thread about this. You want to read out some of these tweets? Yeah, the, the main tweet uh, that I think is important to highlight is that tweet number five in this thread. You can We'll link it in the show notes. He says, that being said, we don't think that there's a high risk of Russian oligarchs using crypto to avoid sanctions. Because it's an open ledger, trying to sneak lots of money through crypto would be more traceable than using U.S. dollars, cash, art, gold, or other assets, which is what we've been saying for a long time. If you want to launder money, you shouldn't use crypto. It's a terrible vehicle for that because of the fact that it's an open public permissionless ledger. People like Lindsey Warren and 
uh, and uh, Lindsey Graham. Excuse, you excuse mean? me, Lindsey Graham and Elizabeth yeah, yeah. Warren. Thank you. Uh, I mean, same talking head though. Uh, <laughs> they when they <laughs> totally they, like, different sides of the aisle, <laughs> yeah. but somehow the same message. Same, but same, yeah, exactly. Like when you go, just because when they go to EtherScan and they don't understand what the hell's going on, doesn't mean the rest of the world doesn't. Like it's a public ledger. You know everything. Just because they don't understand that doesn't mean that crypto can therefore be used to violate sanctions. Just because they don't get it. I mean, can you blame the exchanges? Like, we knew this was going to happen. What yeah. else What else are they going to do? Like, are they going to really piss off the nation state? Is that mm-hmm. a good idea? I mean, they can't, they can't afford to do this. This would cost them their entire business. Obviously, yeah. that's what they're going to do. Obviously, that's what centralized entities do. This is the whole reason for DeFi. The whole reason for Bankless is so that we don't have a third party that can surveil us and be the eye of Sauron and arbitrarily lock our accounts. This is why we need DeFi. Uh, what's this take here? It, it seems related. It's not just Brian Armstrong saying this, but it seems to be like, uh, you know, nation state uh, authorities saying that crypto is a poor conduit mm-hmm. for Russian oligarchs. What's this about? This is from, from Hannah Lang. At the webinar this morning, the National Security Council Director of Cybersecurity, Carol House, says that the scale that Russia would need to circumvent all of financial sanctions, quote, would almost certainly render cryptocurrency as an ineffective primary tool for the state, which is what we said last week, which is what we said on the, on the, the a Monday opening na- note uh, two weeks ago. Like, the market cap of crypto is about true t- true trillion dollars, and Russia and all the oligarchs have, like, a third of that that's being frozen. Like, you cannot fit a third of the crypto market cap through tornado cash or through, like, like whatever tumbler you have. It doesn't work. Uh, and it's, uh, that's aside from how it's all public and permissionless and transparent. Uh, and so uh, the more and more consensus of by people who know what they're talking about are all like, yeah, crypto wouldn't work for sanctions. So why are we even having this conversation? What they're having this conversation is an excuse to tighten up yes. the, the state surveillance on crypto. It's just a nice mm-hmm. narrative in the headlines where you can start to get things through. And pretend like you know it the country sense. supports it, yeah. and pretend like it makes sense. Terrorism, child porn, uh, Russian sanctions—these are all the same things. Great excuses to like uh, restrict freedoms. That's what's that's what's going on. Um, let's talk a little bit about a news story we didn't get to last week because it was kind of breaking. We wanted to see what happened when it settled, but there were reports. I think last Thursday and Friday that MetaMask was actually blocking transactions, blocking individuals in Venezuela from putting uh, MetaMask transactions through in the wallet. That was not, that's not quite true. It's not quite what happened. Can you tell us what exactly happened? There, there was some uh, arbitrary blocking, mm-hmm. but it wasn't on the MetaMask side. Where was it, David? Yeah, it was on the Infura side of things. And I believe it was Venezuela. So it did have to do with a geographic region, but it was not out as a result of sanctions or not any pressure by any nation state regulation. Apparently, it was just like a misconfiguration in Infura. Uh, so basically, like a whoopsies, <laughs> a bug, an exploit, a glitch in what's, Infura. What's what's Infura for people mm-hmm. who don't know? Yeah, so when you uh, send a transaction via MetaMask, it get, gets relayed to an Ethereum node. All transactions all get relayed to an Ethereum node somewhere, somehow, some way. 
uh, and MetaMask defaults to Infura. Infura is a centralized node provider uh, spun up by by Consensus. It's a Consensus product, uh, and so if you just need a if you need an Ethereum node because you do if you ever want to write a transaction or do anything else, uh, you have to send it to an Ethereum node, and so Infura offers that service. And when you download MetaMask, it defaults by pointing to Infura. Uh, Infura was this was the thing that had the whoopsies in the in the configuration for Venezuelan countries, and so Venezuelans when they wanted to use MetaMask uh, said uh, when they went to MetaMask and then they got this warning saying that there is no node provider for you basically, and your transaction won't get through. Running a, hooking up a node to MetaMask that's different from the default one is not something that users typically do just because Infura works so well and we never have had any issues prior and we still really don't have any issues. Uh, but it's important to know that you can quickly and easily and trivially swap out Infura for any other Ethereum node. There's a website spun up by our friend David Mihal called ethereumnodes.com, which just lists off a bunch of public companies or also communities that run nodes that you're uh, welcome to hook into. Uh, so if one goes down, you can just pick up a different one or you can run your own node, which is also an option. Uh, and so if the backend node provider for MetaMask ever goes down, do know that you can go to ethereumnodes.com and just pick a different one. Uh, and it is, and which uh, many, many Bitcoiners have not realized that, you know, no, like Ethereum does not have centralization risk around Infura because there's an infinite number of alternatives. Anyways. In including running your own node. Including and running your just, own node. Yeah, it's just a matter of, of changing the defaults. Mm -hmm. Although, I, you know, I will say it is important, increasingly important, that we uh, try to decentralize this data, uh, like this data um, provider portion mm -hmm. of Ethereum node infrastructure, right? Because it's it's also not super practical for everyone to run their own nodes, obviously. And they're like, they're like BitTorrent-like solutions, uh, to this, and there's some companies working on decentralized data providers um, that I think uh, will be very helpful in the future. But yeah, it's a good PSA. It's 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 something to know. But this is a, a link you included in the agenda, oh, yeah. David, and I'm wondering if you could explain this. This is sort of Ethereum versus Bitcoin sanctions, and this is a a document mm -hmm. here. What it, what is this document talking about, David? The difference between Bitcoin versus Ethereum sanctions? Yeah, so this is a document I put together when I heard uh, on a podcast uh, about how Bitcoiners were pointing at this event of Infura um, uh, being down for a certain parts of the country. And, and Bitcoiners were pointing at Ethereum like they always do. And they say, this is why Bitcoin is designed the way that it is. It's maximally simple. It's maximally like uh, manageable. And there isn't any sort of just like no like risk like this. Like the, uh, Ethereum always centralized around Infura. Uh, and so the this podcast, uh, the, the, the host just kind of regurgitated a bunch of Bitcoiner takes. And I was kind of, I, I messaged him. I said, yo, I'm kind of disappointed in your reporting because all of this stuff is, is just basically wrong. Uh, and so I put this document together. We'll put it in the in the show notes, which he asked me to put together as like a statement as to like trying to like fix, uh, correct the record. Uh, and so I'll, I'll just share a, a few lines here. Um, I say uh, I say that Bitcoiners often see a few chinks in Ethereum's armor, how MetaMask defaults to Infura, the larger state size of Ethereum's nodes, and then they extrapolate it into hyperbole and use this as a narrative as to why the simplicity of Bitcoin is good. But Bitcoin does not shine during times of nation-state ire by not even making on-chain native financial applications possible, which is kind of where the need for Infura comes from in the first place. Bitcoin waves the white flag of providing self-sovereign finance in a trustless way and gives it straight to the centralized institutions who are forced to bend the knee to those that have monopoly on physical power. 
The absence of native DeFi on Bitcoin allows Bitcoiners to sneakily critique all of the Ethereum chinks in the armor that comes with actually taking the hard route of providing native DeFi. Uh, And so here's my spicy take. This is akin to a Cheeto dust-fingered couch potato critiquing the landing of a pro sports like gymnast. Sure, they didn't stick the landing, but they did three backflips and a 720 twist. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And so... Arm, armchair keyboard warrior mm-hmm. sort of takes. Yeah. And so the last spicy line that I have is that uh, Bitcoin shouldn't be getting props because it doesn't even try to offer DeFi. That's not a solution. That's a cop out. And it's not a pro argument for Bitcoin just it, because it succeeds at not trying. Uh, and so if you are a Bitcoiner who likes to FUD Ethereum for having some sort of centralization risk around Infura, um, read this and reconsider. David's talking about Bitcoin maximalists. Yes. You know, in particular yes. Yes. That, that like to charge. And here's the point, right? If if all of your uh, banking transactions have to take place on a centralized exchange, like a, like a BlockFi mm-hmm. or a uh, Celsius or a Coinbase or a Kraken, like how how many orders of magnitude worse is that? Yeah. We just saw what Coinbase can right. do is can block an entire country, an entire class of, of citizens from accessing their crypto, right? And this is the need for, for DeFi and uh, why I think Ethereum as well is like uh, already ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about this. I think this is the big story this of the week, the maybe. Story. This is the big story. The Biden administration just put out an executive order. This was a long-awaited executive order. Like, all the way months back when we were talking to Andrew Yang, and I think he re-echoed this in uh, that ETH Denver, the executive order was coming. A lot of people in crypto were terrified about this. They thought the executive order would be a Biden administration crackdown, a complete crackdown on crypto, uh, a very hostile, uh, you know, attempt to, like, kneecap crypto in, in the United States. But it was not that. No, actually, no. maybe it was actually bullish. What what was inside this thing? The, the fact that it wasn't um, just a massive failure of an executive order, and then uh, it, the fact that it actually looked like they were trying to do an intentional and like well researched job is like the bullish part of this. It's like, oh, they're not just being ridiculous nation status like Elizabeth Warren, and they're actually taking a well reasoned approach to this. Uh, so that that's what the market I think reacted to. Basically, Joe Biden said, hey. Let's spend some time. Let's spend some resources and research the best way to regulate crypto. Oh, with, cool! Yeah, with with a uh, uh, measures on uh, focuses on six different areas: consumer protection, obviously, financial stability, uh, illicit activity, U.S. competitiveness, financial inclusion, and responsible innovation. Responsible innovation, the last one being like the thing that everyone in crypto is really, really happy about. Um, so there, there's some some things to talk about, but generally. People in the crypto world are all pretty like happy with, with this at, executive order. Look at three of these things. Actually, mm-hmm. all of these things actually like matter a lot. U.S. competitiveness. Thank mm-hmm. you for considering that. Financial inclusion. That's important. That's something Web three can bring. Mm-hmm. Responsible innovation. Like absolutely. Let's talk about the innovative side mm-hmm. of crypto rather than all of the kind of uh, illicit activity side of things that that people want to dwell on it's fantastic to see this kind of language in a report and this is just a call for investigation into the, into these areas right. it's not a call for like some sort of um decision right. right now or some sort of immediate action it's a call for a decision after research uh however i i will uh push back a little bit with what you said ryan because there's two sections that kind of make little to no sense to me but i think that if they do their research they'll discover why uh the illicit activity one 
This is a statement from President Biden. The president has called for an unprecedented focus of coordinated action from federal, uh, federal agencies in mitigating illicit finance and national security risks posed by cryptocurrencies. He is also urging international collaboration on this issue. Uh, we already know from chain, an chain analysis that like very, very illicit uh, illegal transactions happens using crypto rails. Like less than 1% is like the latest figure that I got. So like I'm hoping that when they go and investigate the illicit activity being used by crypto rails, they they discover like, oh, there's actually not a lot there. Uh, they they in this article they cite the uh, the Bitfinex hack, which we already which we know about, uh, and then um, they and the, and then the the trope of how like following the Russian invasion of Ukraine, they're worried about how Russian individuals can use crypto, which again we've already discussed. Um, there's another. Do you one. think this is like a good faith effort, though? I think yes, I definitely think this is a good faith effort. Wow. Certainly. I, I did not expect a good faith effort. Right, right, yeah. But, you know, uh, you know can be, I'm happy to be surprised. Another thing yeah. that came out is uh, climate change. Um, Biden also dropped a mention of the sheer energy cost baked into digital currencies like Bitcoin. He wants the government to study ways to make crypto innovation more responsible, reducing any negative climate impacts. I think this is actually really hilarious. He wants the government to study ways to make crypto innovation more responsible. Oh, do you mean what the Ethereum researchers have been researching for the past six years with proof of stake? Like, don't worry, guys. We got this. We've been doing this for years now. <laughs> well, do you think, uh, you know, a bunch of uh, government people in the in the executive branch are now going to have to listen to Bankless and get, like, schooled up on what's going on here? Oh, my God. Are we going to be cited as a source in some sort of, like, federal statement? Oh, God. I hope not. But maybe a bunch of new podcast listeners. That'd be, that'd be kind of fun. Yeah. So what are the takes from around the industry on this? Yeah. So Jeremy Allaire and also Jerry Brito from Coin Center. Jerry Brito from Coin Center, Jeremy Allaire from Circle, the stablecoin, put a, a, both some threads together that are linked in the show notes. So we will read out a few, a few key tweets, starting with number one. Jeremy says, White House executive order uh, and U.S. government strategy for digital assets, a thread with thoughts. TLDR, this is a watershed moment for crypto, digital assets, and Web3, akin to the 96-97 whole of the government wake up to the commercial internet. Uh, and then I'll skip to tweet three. Specifically, the executive order calls for nearly every relevant federal agency to take an on understanding and developing policy positions that understand and address risks, but vitally that support innovation and U.S. national economic competitiveness. And then skipping to the last tweet. Uh, for those of us in the crypto community, in my opinion, this executive order should be viewed as the biggest, big op biggest opportunity to engage with policymakers on the issues that matter. This proverb uh, the proverbial doors of policymakers are wide open. This is now a national conversation in the U.S. So, like, this is the, the policy doors are wide open for the crypto industry to go through them and, and educate them, but also for the banking industry to come in and FUD us. So, like, the, the board is set. The match is about to begin. It's now us versus, like, basically the banking industry to make sure that crypto is treated well. Uh, so those those are the key tweets out of a out of a Jeremy Allaire from Circle. So here are two tweets from from Jerry Brito out of Coin Center. Coin Center being the um, uh, basically our lobbying agency for the industry. Um, Jerry Brito says the the message I take from this executive order is that the federal government sees cryptocurrency as a legitimate, serious, and important part of the economy and society, and I think it's a good signal to serious people who have been holding back from getting involved. Uh, the executive order also presents another striking contrast with alarmist politicians and media in that it is ultimately a call for further study and deliberate planning, not a reactive rush to legislate or regulate. And this is why we are happy. <laughs> Bullish. Bullish. Yay. 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 We like it. We like it. 
We like it. Bullish David's back <laughs> on, the, on the back of an executive order, nonetheless. <laughs> <laughs> Things I wouldn't anticipate in 2022. More of them coming, I guess. Uh, that's awesome. That's mm-hmm. really great. And I, I think um, our friend uh, Jake Trevitsky maybe summed it up really well. I'm going to read out his tweet. Anyone worried that President Biden's executive order would spell doom and gloom for crypto can fully relax now. The main concern, <laughs> yes, I feel relaxed. The main concern was that the executive order might force rushed rulemaking or impose new and bad restrictions. Exactly. That was my concern. But there's nothing like that here. It's about as good as we could ask for. Guys, you can fully relax now. That's not re- do you have some relaxing music? I, I don't. Oh, that's I a don't. cheer. We, we okay, need, but we I, got, need I got one for Elizabeth Warren, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm relaxed. Yeah. This is great. This is great news. Cool. I'm really excited about this. Very cool. happy. I guess that's all we have to say about it. Maybe um, we'll get some more content on this in, in the weeks to come, but it sounds like, as you said, the, the, the game and the pieces are now laid out, and we just have to play our hand. Um, there's nothing scary about this executive order but um we've got to hit the gas pedal and keep moving forward in dc yeah um maybe actually relaxed is actually not the right way to put it because we still have to play the game um but uh the game appears to be fairly set and not rigged against us so that's nice that's nice that is nice it's a nice change yeah uh (laughs) ethereum stuff layer two continues to get cheaper Mm -hmm. what's this Optimism, once again, reduces transaction fees by about another 30 to 40%. I mean, when you keep on doing this for like seven times in a row, like things start to approach zero really, really fast. Um, So um, as of recently, like the last time this happened was like on March 3rd. And what is it today? March 9th. Uh, So on March 3rd, it called out, it got compressed by 40%. And then we're doing it again by another 40%. Like fees are approaching zero. Which is kind of unfortunate because now the gas fees on the Ethereum L1 are also <laughs> approaching zero. Like it starts to matter less. But hey, at this. least when the bull market finally rolls around again, layer two fees will actually be like close to zero. It's kind of like the Bankless podcast is just like a repeating cycle of us being sad about gas fees too high and then us being sad about gas fees too low. Yeah. <laughs> and we're in the part where we're sad about gas fees too low. Yeah. But it's awesome for the long term. Honestly, this is exactly where we need to see the market going. Aave's on optimism too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's happening. This Aave is, contracts um, deployed on optimism, yeah. Contracts deployed on optimism. So guys, layer two does not stop getting built out. Um, NFT, NFT side of things. Let's start with this story. This is where you the said there were some shenanigans. From. Okay, Shenan- tell us about the shenanigans. Tell us what's right, so here. What's here? Ty Lopez, who I don't know who he is other than an influencer, uh, has released his own is. NFTs. I think very, very, um, very, very uh, inspired by Gary V. Gary V. He mentioned these NFTs that were redeemable, right? Like one of them was redeemable for like a gift box and another one was redeemable for a phone call with Gary V and another one was redeemable for whatever and the, his community just loved it like big success everyone loved it he it, executed well he executed beautifully Ty Lopez is taking a, a similar approach as in like redeemable NFTs but these ones are uh, egregious these are ridiculous <laughs> kind of cringy oh these are terrible okay so like let, let's go through some of these uh, I think the most also okay I'll, I'll save the most hilarious one for last um one-on-one Michelin star restaurant with Ty Lopez. Like, I'm sure that's a very, like, that, for the right price, that would be use, interesting for the right fan. But it's being sold for 29 and a half ETH. 
I don't even know what that is in dollar terms because I think in ETH terms. But 30 ETH times, where are we? $200 at ETH price or $2,000? $2,000. Oh, $2,000. Don't a bear say market. 200 God. That was a bear market joke. Scary. Uh, that's like this $80,000 for a one-on-one Michelin star restaurant with Ty. You, you, you're allowed to pay $80,000 to take Ty Lopez out to a Michelin star <laughs> restaurant. <laughs> One-on-one WhatsApp access to Ty's personal phone number. He's Ooh, basically yeah. selling his phone number for 32.8 ETH. That's a whole entire Ethereum validator for Ty Lopez's number. He would tie you up? Like, what are you going to do with that? Like, what are you going to He doesn't even guarantee that he'll respond. <laughs> one-on-one wow. watch a movie with Ty Lopez for 13 ETH. You can't oh, even talk to the guy. You just got to shut up and watch the movie. Just okay. watch a movie with him? Is he going to have popcorn? Like, it, wait, is that in person? I hope it's like on his couch or something. Can't be you, like- guys, you guys are on Zoom and you guys press play at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> 13 ETH, please. Okay, here, here's my favorite one. A one-on-one $10,000 game of horse with Ty Lopez. <laughs> For the low, low price of 20 Ether, you can have the ability to play a game of horse with Ty Lopez. And if you win, you get $10,000, which is like one fifth the cost of what it costs to buy one of these things. $50,000 for a game of horse with Ty. Yeah. Wow. Better make that last. Wait, if you you lose the game of horse, do you have to pay another $10,000? I hope, like, I don't know. (laughs) Who knows, man? This is, do you think that, Maybe we just don't get it because we're not part of the community and this is just laughable. But Ty has some super fans that to him, he's just kind of like a, I don't know, like a Taylor Swift or a Kanye West or like someone actually worth this kind of, uh, you know, experience price. You think we're the people who don't get it? You think yeah. there's people in the community who want this? Yeah. Are, are we the blank holes? Um no, we're not. <laughs> no, there's no way. You know, it's mostly egregious. It's it's an ETH too. Yeah. Why yeah. would you spend your ETH this way, guys? God damn. Yo, the merch is happening. People <laughs> people spending like twenty ETH on a game of horse. Do they know how much this is going to be worth post merge, David? God, this is going to be one of the most financially terrible investments ever made by a lot. I, I hope people. Well, apparently, people are actually buying these things. Uh, <laughs> And because we, you can actually see it on chain, how many of, of are actually being bought? I don't know. Um, but yeah, uh, either way, ridiculous. ridiculous. Wow, it's crazy. Do you think this is uh, gives NFTs a bad name, this kind of thing? Because this bigly. is what makes headlines, right? Bigly, bigly, yeah. Like the, it becomes the, kind the, of a joke. This got onto my radar just because somebody tweeted this out. It was like, oh, this is clearly the end of NFTs. Like Ty Lopez is ruining it for everyone. And like, honestly, like, Here's the here's Bear David coming out. This feels like the last gasps of ICOs in 2018. The ICO mania was in 2017 when they all worked out. The ICO mania continued for another year while they got more and more ridiculous and more and more egregious and just more and more cringe. Uh, and like this is that to me, where like that was the ICOs. This is NFTs. This is like the cringiest NFT thing I've ever seen. <laughs> really it was was it worse than uh whatever we talked about last week with those uh mutant uh nfts um what's his name you're right yeah uh kevin and pixelmons yeah well, Pix- okay pixelmons uh, okay uh, good Another point now, you have to make me consider that ryan but like i'll make you consider that this happened two weeks in a row <laughs> <laughs> what's happening next week oh god i don't even want to know all right well speaking of cringe david uh former file sharing site limewire is getting ready to relaunch as an NFT marketplace. Don't tell me this is another top signal. 
Remember LimeWire back in the day? Do you oh, ever I, use LimeWire? I use LimeWire so much. So yeah. Much. It was yeah. great. It was great. Well, it's coming back. How mm-hmm. would you like it as an NFT platform? What the hell? <laughs> what the hell? What the absolute hell? Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, what's there, you can't use it yet. There, you can join the wait list or say that you're a creator. I mean, they got to just be rotating the brand into an, an NFT marketplace platform. Uh, because NFTs are hot. That's why. Because NFTs are hot. I mean, but again, not? a little late, guys. Like, you have to wait for, for the NFT markets to come back. Well, it's uh, we'll, we'll we'll see what happens there. Maybe we'll be pleasantly surprised. I doubt it. I doubt it. Um, Andre, mm-hmm. Andre Cronier, mm-hmm. he is a, a DeFi builder and kind of a famous DeFi builder. We yeah. had him on the podcast in you know, twenty twenty, yeah. I believe, was the last mm-hmm. time we had him on the podcast. We were it's talking like April about April twenty twenty. Yeah, the launch of Wiren and YFI and his whole strategy and uh, really interesting developer. He's gone on since then to build a lot of things. His, mm-hmm. had his hand in a ton of different DeFi projects and even like sidechain uh, alt layer one networks like Phantom. Mm-hmm. Well, he just quit. Mm-hmm. It sounds like almost like a rage quit maybe, although there's not much communication as to what type of departure this was because he like deleted his Twitter account and everything mm-hmm. and announced through, um, I guess maybe a, a business partner of some sort that he's terminating uh, all of the, his work on all of the the apps and service, there are 25 of them that he had formerly worked on. What's uh, what's this about? Yeah, I think I'll actually zoom all the way back out just to provide context to this. When Andre came on our podcast, uh, this was right after Yearn got kicked off, which Yearn like, stole the show in DeFi for like two weeks. People couldn't stop talking about it. Uh, and so that's kind of where Andre like rose up in fame just because he built this product and this token that he gave away for free and didn't really collect any of himself went from zero to $60,000 in like four weeks or something. Uh, and so that's what, that's when like the, uh, brand of Andre came around, but he came onto our podcast, like in kind of a storm talking about like how, like he, he basically bought off, but didn't realize what he was going to turn himself into like DMS, like when, when like the, the, it's too much. He it just was too much. Too much attention. Like too much degens. People like now asking Andre to pump the price. Him being way too way, way too responsible for things. And that was like almost two, that was over two years ago. Uh, wow, it's crazy that that's been that long. Um, anyways, uh, Andre has since then built other stuff, which got him even more clout and put even more pressure on him as an individual. Uh, and that kind of continued. He started building on Phantom, building more products, uh, just kind of leading the charge of like the degen side of, of crypto people aping into Andre contracts, like Andre kind of turned into a meme. Uh, and then he was also tangentially involved with the whole Wonderland, Danny Sesta, Xerox Sifu drama. And I think that's kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. And actually why I think we see Andre having quit because like he just didn't just burnt out he just burnt out uh he after the whole uh xerox sifu quadringa wonderland danny sessa drama he wrote this tweet saying like i don't support danny's actions i just want to build i don't want any of this drama i just want to build stuff uh and so i think after like slogging through the mess of crypto twitter and degen twitter and degen crypto life for two years uh he finally just called it quits uh, it's like, I've had enough of this, um, which uh, he's not the only person I've seen do that in the last like month or so. Another reason why I'm ba- Dave is in bear market mode. Um, but yeah, so he I think he's just kind of done with dealing with all the toxic DeFi community, uh, which he's kind of gathered around himself accidentally. Um, 
Uh, but yeah, the uh, the end of an era. I don't think he'll ever really be gone. Maybe he spun he spun up a, um, an alt, a private alt that we don't know who it is, so he can still participate. But the persona of Andre is being sunsetted, at least for now. I I do hate to see DeFi builders go, but one thing that I am actually a little bit relieved mm-hmm. to see is I feel like we were getting into an unhealthy position with respect to some of these DeFi builders and the cult of personality uh, around them. Like Danny Sesta was a fantastic example. And I think something similar was also happening to Andre where people just ape into these projects, you know, just because uh, these DeFi builders names were associated with them. And then it almost seemed to get to a healthy place, not necessarily with Andre. I'm not, I'm not too sure, but I was getting vibes that um, some of the builders of these projects were like pumping their own projects in unsustainable ways as well. And if not them themselves, like kind of the crowd that gathered around them. Uh, and it just seemed really unhealthy and unsustainable for the space. And so uh, I guess my take is this, is personality cult DeFi dead? I kind of hope it is. I And m- maybe Andre as well hopes it is. I don't know, maybe some of the other DeFi builders in the space who just want to code as they say they want to do. Uh, are are happy with with kind of personality cult DeFi sunsetting a little bit. And I do hope it's the end of it, at least for a season. This always returns, though. Like, when there's success, when there's, like, bull market uh, when fervor, goes up. Yeah. when number goes up, we see out. this every single time, right? And again, the, like, like tourists... Uh, we, we talked about tourists in crypto and and mm. um, the settlers, right? And I guess if you're a settler, you kind of get tired of seeing the same thing every cycle. Right. But uh, it does feel like the end of maybe a, a local cycle here of personality cult DeFi. And honestly, David, I think that's kind of a healthy thing. Maybe mm. it's a maybe it's a B market thing, but it's a healthy thing. I, I uh, tweeted out uh, the, earlier this week. I still never found out who Danny Sesta was, uh, which is like, like a joke because like that's how what started the whole like frog drama <laughs> with did? us. Yeah, and like, what kind of replies did you get on that one? Completely modest, normal people with an absence of no frogs. No way. The, the frogs are gone from crypto Twitter. Like if there are you no frogs. Said that six weeks. Well, you did say that six yeah. weeks ago, and I got absolutely hounded Eight by by the the cult of personality driven off around, of the internet. Almost. Yeah, yeah, I had to like fucking take a personal day and just relax. <laughs> And have an IPA. <laughs> this and like, is so now dumb. I get to joke about Danny Sessa because the tourists are gone and your boy's still here. <laughs> and he always will be. <laughs> Look, man, we invited Danny on the podcast and he said he would come on and multiple then he times. never he said he would come on multiple times in private like DMs. He said it publicly. Mm-hmm. Never came on. We never got to find out who he was. Mm-hmm. Um Bankless listeners to- are ever confused as who the settlers are. You're listening to them right now. <laughs> We're not, we're not leaving, okay? <laughs> I'm not leaving. This is Leo DiCaprio meme. <laughs> it's the bear market. Uh, I'm still here. <laughs> you know what? I'm excited to do Bankless. If this is a B market, David, I'm excited mm-hmm. to do B market season. Uh, that, with, that's with kind Bankless of what I'm tribe. getting into. That's trying to, the, the mo- mood I'm trying to invoke. Like, there are plenty of good reasons to be stoked about a, bo- a bear market. A B market? B market. <laughs> <laughs> Goldman Sachs is connecting clients to Galaxy Digital's ETH fund. Mm-hmm. I just think this means gold, Goldman Sachs is a headline. Goldman Sachs has a bunch of clients, of course, with a lot of money, and they want an easy onboard to, uh, to Ethereum. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they are onboarding to Galaxy Digital's Ether fund, probably getting a commission on that, as yep. Wall Street likes to do. Basically so, just a great. finder's fee for funneling people into Galaxy Digital's ETH fund. Fine. I don't hate it. Fine. Yeah. Whatever. More people in crypto. Goldman Sachs uh, has done worse things. 
this is a little bit of uh, drama. Is, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, well, let's talk about what this drama is. So Laura Shin released a book mm-hmm. that you have. I'm not sure if you've read it yet, David. It's a pretty thick book. No. But we've no. seen a lot of, like, a, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the Dow hacker identity reveal. Uh, there's some other things Laura Shin uncovered and revealed in this book. Why don't you talk about um, <laughs> the spat between Charles Hoskinson and Laura Shin on Twitter? Yeah, so this got started off by somebody tweeting out, Reading Laura Shin's book, it's great to discover Charles's early years portrayed on there. Hashtag crypto. And then Charles responds... A great work of fiction. Tough market to beat George R.R. Martin and Tolkien, but we wish her well. Basically saying that everything in Laura Shin's book is a fabrication fantasy. Um, and so Laura Shin comes in, taking the opportunity to probably promote her book, says, Hi Charles, speaking of fiction, do you want to address the discrepancies between your claims of dropping out of a PhD program and the school's assertions that you were enrolled as an undergraduate? Uh, yeah. So Charles <laughs> has said that like that he never got his PhD, but he was a PhD student for a while before he dropped out, probably to go do cryptocurrency stuff. Uh, and then the school allegedly never even had the PhD program that Charles claims that he was a part of. Uh, and and you know, so that's one thing. Like a, a lot of people, a lot of um, deep Ethereum people will kind of know Charles as like a what's the word for a chronic liar? A, he's a chronic liar of sorts. <laughs> um, uh, but then. Uh, uh, who, who had a really good take? It was, um, it was uh, Eric Wall had a really good take that was retweeting Laura Shin's comments and said something that I think we're all thinking. And Eric Wall says, if you think about a person who so easily fabricates the truth about what such a simple thing as being a PhD student, not even having a PhD, but being once a PhD student is what he lied about, don't you think that maybe, just maybe, the claimed technical impressiveness of Cardano is just a tad bit exaggerated? Uh, I think this is a great like microcosm of my concerns about the Cardano ecosystem at large. Uh, it's kind of a cult of personality, as we were just discussing, project around Charles Hoskinson, who appears to be a chronic liar. And that, Ryan, is my spicy takes for the week. <laughs> there you go. You get one per week, one spicy <laughs> take in per week. That was it. Do you know, is this the part of the market cycle where we like call out people who have been um, maybe deceptive? Yes. Like when price goes yes. down, everyone's like, <laughs> the oh. The witch hunt part of the market cycle. <laughs> We see again, it's classic. We already saw it. We saw it in 2008 mm-hmm. as well. And uh, it seems like these cult of personalities are, are they can't persist during during bear market cycles, at least not in the same way they have during bull market cycles. So that's another turning of the wheel, I suppose. More indication that it's B season. There was also an ENS vote that ended uh, Sunday. David, can you talk a little bit about that and the interesting graph accompanying it? Yeah, this is, uh, I think, uh, coming to closure with a lot of the ENS drama that was happened about a month ago. Basically, to speed run that drama, uh, one of the founders of ENS, Brantley, uh, very Catholic, tweeted uh, anti-homosexual things, anti-LGBTQ things, got onto a Twitter spaces, did not back down from it, caused a bunch of drama. Uh, in in the crypto Twitter sphere, uh, and then there was a movement to uh, remove Brantley as a delegate towards ENS. And ENS, it's a DAO with delegate governance. And what we are looking at is the vote as to whether we should remove Brantley from the ENS DAO delegation. Uh, and and really, the, the, that's the backstory. But really, what we want to talk about here is it's actually really cool to see the transparent nature of how and which delegates voted for what and how big they are. Uh, and so you get to see all of the delegates for ENS and how they voted. So you, it's basically like representative democracy, and you get to see 
your representative. And so you as an ENS holder, you could vote for however you see fit if you want to individually vote uh, directly, or you could just like delegate your ENS to a delegate, such as Coinbase.eth. Coinbase is a delegate. RainbowWallet.eth is a delegate. Nick.eth, Nick Johnson. Uh, Griff.eth, which is Griff, Griff Green, I'm pretty sure. Simona.eth, which is Simona Pop. You get to see how your delegates voted, and you also get to see the weight on which they voted with, with which is how much delegate they delegate weight that they have behind it. Uh, so as of the end of this vote, Brantley was uh, the, the against side one, uh, which was tipped over by Brantley himself, which is uh, something to consider, uh, which will actually retain Brantley as part of the, and the ENS delegation system. Uh, but the, the point is the transparency. And the, yeah, the transparency and I guess governance system in action, particularly delegated governance. And this reminds me of, you said representative democracy, also reminds me of sort of you know, corporate proxy vote, basically, because everything's weighted by um, by uh, allocation of capital and how much capital you have and who you're delegating to. But this is a DAO coming to a decision on something and all of the delegates weighing in. So I think it's healthy from that perspective and a good thing for governance to see. I just love the transparent breakdown as well. All right, David, uh, takes time. You ready to talk about the takes of the week? Let's do it. All right, we will do it in just a second. But before we do, we wanna thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. The Brave browser is the user first browser for the Web3 internet with over 50 million monthly active users. Control your digital footprint with built-in privacy and ad blocking. Inside the Brave browser, you'll find the Brave wallet, the first secure crypto wallet built natively inside of a Web3 crypto browser. Web3 is freedom from big tech and Wall Street, more control and better privacy. But there's a weak point in Web3, your crypto wallet. The Brave wallet is different. Brave wallet is built natively inside the Brave browser, no extension required, which gives the Brave wallet an extra level of security versus other wallets. With the Brave wallet, you can buy, store, send, and swap your crypto assets, and you can even manage your NFTs and connect to other wallets and DeFi apps, all from the security of the best privacy browser on the market. Whether you're new to crypto or a seasoned pro, it's time to switch to the Brave wallet. Download Brave at brave.com bankless and click the wallet icon to get started. The Gemini Exchange has been my exchange of choice ever since I got into crypto. I use Gemini to both buy the dips and also manage my regular automatic monthly purchases of my preferred crypto asset. On Gemini, you'll find over 50 different cryptos, including many of the top DeFi and metaverse tokens like YFI and Axie Infinity. Using Gemini Earn, you can earn yield on your various cryptos, including 8% on the GUSD stablecoin. Gemini is available in all 50 states and more than 50 countries worldwide. So if you're looking to upgrade your crypto exchange, sign up at Gemini with Gemini.com slash GoBankless and get $15 of Bitcoin after you trade $100 or more within the first 30 days. That's Gemini.com slash GoBankless. Arbitrum is an Ethereum scaling solution that's going to completely change how we use DeFi and NFTs. Over 250 projects have already deployed on Arbitrum, and Arbitrum's DeFi and NFT ecosystems are growing rapidly. Arbitrum increases Ethereum speed by orders of magnitude for a fraction of the cost of the average gas fee. When interacting with Arbitrum, you can get the performance of a centralized exchange while tapping into Ethereum's level of decentralization and security. If you're a developer who wants low gas fees and instant transactions for your users, visit developer.offchainlabs.com to get started building your application on Arbitrum. If you're a user, keep an eye out for your favorite DeFi apps or NFT projects building on Arbitrum. Many of your favorite apps are already live, with many more coming over soon. You can find these apps at portal.arbitrum.one, and you can bridge your assets over to Arbitrum using bridge.arbitrum.io in order to experience DeFi and NFTs the way it was always meant to be. Fast, cheap, and friction-free. All right, guys, we are back with the takes of the week. Uh, here's a first take from David Hoffman himself. 
What's saw, the take, David? I saw somebody tweeted out NFTs, the quickest way to annoy everyone in your life, uh, which is a funny <laughs> joke. Uh, but uh, this is exactly what they said about blockchain back in 2018. Uh, at the end of the ICO mania, as, after everyone was just done hearing about crypto and ICOs and decentralization, people were like, blockchain, it's the, the newest way to annoy your families, the newest way to indicate that you're a virgin. Like it, The word <laughs> blockchain was just like not in vogue in 2018. Uh, and you know that we just heard that all the way down, like blockchain, super annoying. Uh, and now I just I just saw this tweet. It said NFTs, the quickest way to annoy everyone in your life. And I'm like, hmm, I've heard this before. Uh, and so I'm just reminding people that this is what people said at the end of the ICO mania, which is a little bit of again a, a bear market hat, but also pointing to the fundamentals that everyone that talked about how blockchain was annoying probably forgot to buy stuff during the bear market and forgot to get forgot to make life changing money in the next coming bull market. So take note. David is saying there is some um, market opportunity coming your way, some buying opportunity coming your way. Uh, what's his take? Maybe, maybe I'll read it. This is uh, the parent tweet was uh, from somebody who said three arrows capital holds AVAX. That's Avalanche token. Jump holds Terra. Sam, that's SBF from FTX, holds Solana. Sequoia holds Polygon. Paradigm holds Cosmos. Institutions hold Near. Sailor holds Bitcoin. Only Tetranode holds ETH laugh out loud and you are thinking eth will go to 20k during uh proof of stake kind of making fun mm -hmm. of the fact that no one holds uh, ETH. no big institutions no vcs no 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 brands no mega whales none of the like big money uh is an advocate for eth they all hold these alternative coins DC Investor tweets on top of this and says, they may not know it and they may not have meant it this way, but this is exactly the ETH bullish thesis. Run it back, December 2018 style. Look, somebody else recalling the bear market 2018 style. What is DC saying in this uh, parent tweet? Yeah, so he's saying this, this parent tweet, uh, the Chishi whoever says, like all these funds hold all these tokens and they're not ETH. So why would you ever think that ETH is gonna run? DC is saying like, yes, they don't hold ETH. That means that they still have to buy it because they don't have any of it. Uh, and so all of the size of these funds, when ETH goes to the merge and people realize that fundamentals matter and all these other chains are just speculation against what they hope could potentially be an Ethereum killer, once they realize it's not, they all have to hold ETH. Am I actually gonna go even further on this? Not only are they not holding ETH, but these are uh, this parent tweet, which they thought was a dunk on ETH, it's actually a, the complete inverse. It's actually a dunk on all the other tokens. Do you want Three Arrows Capital be, to be holding your token as we go into a bear market? Because then that means they're just going to dump it. So I would be very nervous as an Avalanche holder that Three Arrows Capital holds its bag holding a bunch of AVAX tokens. And basically this tweet is just listing off all of the institutions that are probably a little bit underwater to some degree with all of their investments. And so if you have investments and we're going into a down market, you're gonna sell them. Like you're not, you maybe, I mean, maybe they're gonna buy more, but like you don't want, in my opinion, three hours capital to be holding your asset of choice 
during times of bearishness. Oh, oh my God, definitely not. I, no, I don't. They are going to dump on you. They are not. They are not settlers. Okay, these are yeah. traders. These are mercenaries. They are going to do whatever is in the financial best interest. Obviously, they're not going to hold through a brutal bear winter. They're going to switch over to USDC or, or stable coins or maybe mm. Bitcoin and ETH right. in a bear market. Uh, definitely not the holders of last resort that I would want on my team during the bear market. And DC recalled December 2018. Uh, this is sort of what happened in December 18. Like, mm -hmm. if this is a B market, I'm not saying it is, if it is a B market, though, uh, everything's going to dump, mm -hmm. but some things are going to mega, mega dump. dump. Yeah. Like, dump harder than you can even imagine. Do you remember some assets went down 99%? Yeah. Most never recovered. Okay, so like, what are you holding? Good time to take an objective right. look at your portfolio and see what other people are holding. Mm -hmm. Do you what what holding camp do you want to be in? Is the question yeah. if this is a B market? Okay, Lynn Alden had a take too. The difference between assets that are somebody else's liability and assets that are nobody's liability probably got a lot clearer to people in recent weeks. What she what's Lynn saying here? Yeah, so there's there's assets like debt or assets that are conditional on the actions of somebody else for them to be realized. And then there's assets like Bitcoin or Ether or gold that are no one's liability. If you have it, you have it. And you have a lot more security in these assets. And during times of insecurity, during times of chaos, during times of war, having assets that are no one's liability is really, really useful. During times of sanction as yeah. well. You yes. definitely want those. Yeah. See what the real assets are, what the bearer instruments are. Mm. Um, what's this take from... Nick Carter, he wrote an article, mm -hmm. and this is a quote from it. Could you read it out? Yeah, Nick Carter says, While seizing Afghan or Russian reserves may feel righteous and just, the immediate effect of such actions is to completely undermine the credibility of dollar debt as an international savings device. More or less saying, hey, do you store your value in dollars because you think the dollars are a safe haven? Well, we can also just rug pull you because of how you save them in dollars. Uh, this is uh, an asset that is somebody else's liability. If you hold dollars, you are maybe it's a good store of value because you trust the federal government more than any other federal or federal reserve out there. But they can also freeze your money. Uh, and so uh, anytime we sanction people, regardless of whether you consider these sanctions to be good sanctions, it's undermining the value of dollars because they can be snagged from you. Yeah, exactly. And I think what Nick is saying here is just let's all just acknowledge the trade-off here. It might still be the right thing to do. It might still be the thing you want to do, the thing you feel like you should do. But let's acknowledge the trade-off is the U.S.'s reserve currency status. Because what are other countries going to want to hold now that they realize the Western financial apparatus can just like freeze their dollars on a whim? Is it going to be dollars? Is it going to be USDC? Or are they going to look to alternatives? And I think the answer is pretty obvious. They're going to look to alternatives. So cause and effect, right? Mm -hmm. There is going to be a reaction to this sort of thing. It's not, uh, there's no free lunch in, in the sanctions world. Yeah, that's exactly right. All right, so let's get to this, David. What are you excited about this week? I mean, listeners already know, like, there's not a, I don't see a lot to be excited about. Like, what? I, uh, I mean, we can, we can talk about the usuals. We can talk about the merge, blah, 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 blah. There, there was, at the beginning of this bull market, I put a, a, a line into a Market Monday that uh, stuck in my head where the, the, po the bull markets are when society comes and they remember crypto is a thing and then they reprice everything. And then some people stick around, but most people leave and then the bear market happens again. 
that's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing the attention leaving the space, people caring less about NFTs. These JPEGs are no longer in interesting. They're just JPEGs now. Uh, DeFi tokens never really got traction again post-DeFi summer. Uh, L1, alternative L1s are like falling through, through the floor. Uh, meanwhile, like the only real attention that crypto has on it right now is with sanctions and regulation, which are not exciting. Like crypto bull markets happen during exciting times. Uh, and like, what is there to be excited about? Like, I, like I'm excited about the merge. I'm excited about layer twos, but like those things don't scale out in the same way that, that NFTs did with culture and, and like social dynamics. And so like, I'm looking at the horizon being like, what left does the crypto industry have in its quiver? How many arrows does it have left in its crypto quiver to get people excited about it? And I'm just not seeing very many. Do you, so do you think we're entering at the least like maybe a quiet a quiet period of, uh, if it's not a bearish period it's definitely going to be another B which is a building period of Damn time. Damn it, I was going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, we're entering the quiet building periods, which yeah. I mean kind of kind of are loosely synonymous with bear markets because um, it's easier to build during bear markets, but like I just I just see all of the same things that we saw post 2018 like in in the 2022 version. There you go, guys. That's David's take. Tune in next week to see whether we get uh, bull market David back or whether it's going to be not bearish David, builder David. <laughs> or ETH price goes to. past like $3,000 and I'm just like super, oh, I'm bullish again. Like I was totally wrong. The super cycles, right? <laughs> super cycle. <laughs> All right, That's Ryan, funny. what are you excited about? I'm excited about the executive order just because mm -hmm. it's not super dumb. I thought it'd be I thought it would be super dumb, like to be honest. I thought mm -hmm. that they would screw it up. It's um, It's reasonably measured. It's keeping America in the game. And I care about that because, look, I, I live in the U.S. and I have uh, hopes for the U.S. Uh, to preserve, you know, some uh, to, to reject state surveillance, to reject the half-assed authoritarianism that's been trending towards in recent years, to do something that a lot of other countries around the world uh, aren't doing. Look, I mean, uh, the U.S. shouldn't try to compete with countries on authoritarianism. That's a bad path. It's never going to win. <laughs> It's just not authoritarian enough to actually do a good job at it, right? So what is the path for <laughs> the U.S.? A, a hilarious take. <laughs> I, I mean, it's true. It's just like, it's just, you know it's just going to do a half-assed job. Right. So why do that? Why not, why not double down on your core competency and the, like the founding narrative of the country, which is like freedom, right? That, like that's the true narrative that a, a lot of people in the U.S. can actually get behind. Strong property rights, freedom. Uh, civil liberties. These are the things that the Constitution embodied and the things I would argue that that made the U.S. actually a, a country worth living in and worth immigrating to. And uh, I think it can still preserve these things if it does things like embrace crypto technology. I just saw a glimmer of hope this week in the executive order that not the least that they, not that they were going to embrace it, but at least they weren't going to quash it all in one fell swoop. So that's what's exciting to me this week. And I never thought I'd be saying a uh, executive order is, mm -hmm. is an exciting thing for crypto. But hey, that's what we're working with during the B market. <laughs> it's <laughs> we'll take anything we can get. It's a complete inversion right now. NFTs are lame. DeFi's dead. But hey, Biden's regulation, cool, super sick. <laughs> yeah, super sick regulation. <laughs> All right, guys, that's that's it. That's the, the take of the week. Let's get to the last thing, David, which is, so what's the meme of the week this week? Uh, the meme of the week is just watching the uh, a video of people watching the Shell gas price just click upwards, $4.07, $4.08. You can watch it wow. go up in real time. <laughs> How depressing is that? People oh, just these have are, their hands on their hips literally... like watching gas go up in price. <laughs> 
That's crazy. That's <laughs> sad. Yeah, gas prices are insane uh, this week, but um, not I don't know. Because not, it's a bear market. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Guys, sorry for all the B market top, but you know we, we got to say what's on our mind in the roll-ups. That's what we do every week. But of course, none of this has been financial advice. We don't know what type of B market it is. That's for, <laughs> that's for you to make the decision. Uh, but we do know that Bitcoin is risky. ETH is risky. DeFi is risky. We've been telling you all along, you could lose what you put in. They're less risky in bear markets. <laughs> <laughs> but we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot. 